Okay, so let me, let me give you a little scenario here. Man and his wife get up early to go to, go to worship. They get to worship. They listen to somebody read scripture, you know, and they say, mm, that, 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 that's good. That's good scripture. They listen to somebody sing, and man, they're just, you know, feeling, man, this, this, this feels wonderful. You know, they raise their hand when they're asked to raise their hand, or they clap when they're asked to clap, you know, stand, sit, you know, and all those, you know, calisthenics we go through on Sunday morning sometimes, you know, and they do all those things. You know, and then they, 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 they brought their offering, so they go by and they give their offering to those who are collecting the offering and uh, pretty much go home, you know, it's time for dinner, you know, whatever else the rest of the day has. Does that sound familiar? Here's the problem. I just described Old Testament worship. That's not New Testament worship. That is Old Testament worship. Old Testament worship was, you were spectators. You came to watch what was going on. But we're not living in the, did y'all know that? We're not living in the Old Testament. Y'all knew that, right? We're not part of the Old Testament. I love how I hear teenagers in 20-something, some of them say, they, they don't call it old, they call it the First Testament. I love that. That's pretty cool, the First Testament. It's not, you know, it's not the old one like it's dead and gone, but he, Jesus came to fulfill it, okay? So it didn't, it's not gone away. There's some important stuff there, but understand, we don't live in the First Testament. We're a New Testament church. It's not supposed to be that way, don't you know? Uh, you know here's the thing. Jesus Christ didn't die so that you could come to church. He died so that we could be the church. You get that? Jesus Christ didn't bleed. He didn't have to die so that we could come to church because people were already coming to worship. He died so that we could be the church. Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You. This is not the temple. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. The temple was something they built. The temple was something they created that God gave them a vision for. Create this temple. But now today, I'm the temple of God. You're the temple of God. You're the temple of God. We together are a church, but each one of us are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. He wants to empower you. He wants to infill you. He wants to you know, work the gifts through you, all those things. This is not the temple anymore. And, and, and we're not supposed to be a spectator on Sunday morning. Do you know that? You're a participator. Here's what was going on. Remember, the Old Testament wasn't done away with by the New Testament. The New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. Here, here's the way I like to describe it. I hadn't said this in a while, so I'll say this to you. Is the Old Testament is the foreshadow of the New Testament. Just about all the truths of the New Testament, you can go back to the Old Testament and see a picture of. So that's what the Old Testament worship was doing. It was giving us a picture of something even better in our day. So what these people were witnessing, when, when they would come to worship, at, at, you know, the Israelites would come to the temple to worship, when, when they would come together to worship, and they said there were times also that, that, the, that the Spirit of God fell in such a powerful way that they even saw the glory of God. They called it, you know, in the Hebrew, it's called the Shekinah like a fog that they, it was the spirit of God that was resting there. And when they saw this happening and they saw the majesty and, and even in their spirits, they said, man, this is good. And they enjoyed this. They were witnessing what's supposed to be going on in your life right now. 
I mean, what they were witnessing was, you know, what they were witnessing in, in one temple is what's supposed to be going on in every one of these temples around here. So, I mean, whatever they saw that was great and awesome and wonderful, now you can experience, and not just every once in a while, but you're supposed to experience that every day. You know, they didn't even have weekly worship because, you know, man, you know the whole nation couldn't come together. They only have one temple. They didn't even have weekly worship. But you and I, we have daily worship, hourly worship, minute-by-minute worship. I mean, that's one of the ways that New Testament worship is better than Old Testament. But worship is still worship. It's just that it's not in one place. It's in my place. Worship is still worship. But let, me t- let me give you three uh, uh, big ways that worship uh, has changed. Okay, and, and, and the first one is that worship begins together. Begins is underlined. Y'all see that, right? That's not, that's not a mistake on the screen up there. Uh, worship is un- uh, or begins is underlined. Worship begins together. Have you ever thought about that? When do we worship? It's kind of traditional. Christian church worships on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. When was the holy day in the Old Testament? Saturday, the last day of the week. So yeah, there's something that's changed, isn't it? You know what he's telling us? And, and, and again, they didn't worship every Sabbath because they didn't have temple services like that. That's something that's changed. Is now the tradition is what to begin the week with worship. And, and you know, in the, in, in the book of Acts, where it talks several places, it mentions the hour of prayer. You know when the hour of prayer is? Yeah, three hours into the day, whatever it is. Normally about nine o'clock. You know, and, and that's about what the hour of prayer is. So, so think about what the symbolism here is. The symbolism is that we start the week and we start the day together with prayer and worship. Now, now some people will tell you, yeah, we, we, if you're not having church at nine o'clock, you know, you are, you are not a New Testament church because they, they had the, they had the hour of prayer. Somebody throws that at you, tell them, go back and study just a little bit more because that third hour actually means three hours after sunrise. So that means every, every week you got to look and see what time the sun's going to come up. Man, that'd be horrible to try to publicize the times of your services, wouldn't it? Every week you're out there changing the sign. Three hours after a sunrise, you know, we're going to have to, I mean, this wasn't a form. What it was, was an example to us that we begin together with where I want you to get this because the rest of what I'm going to preach to you here, I, I don't want you to miss the part that it's important that we begin together, but it's just the beginning. Worship does not end at 11.15 in a few minutes. Worship didn't end for the people in the early service. It did not end at 10 o'clock. It just began. Yesterday in my small group, I, I, said, I said to the guys, I said, you know, there are a lot of endings, it seems like, in life, but really there's not. There's only one ending in life. That's when you die. And that is the end. Life is over. But you know, whenever there's an end in your life, it's really the beginning of something else, isn't it? You know, something ends, but it's the beginning of something else. And that's, that's the way this is. When this service ends, worship's not over. You're leaving a building, but you're not leaving the temple. You're taking the temple with you. Worship's not ending, but just another way to worship is supposed to begin. Okay, let me take you to Scripture. This is what Jesus says. John chapter 14, verse 12. Here's two more ways that we find that worship has changed uh, in the New Testament right here. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. He said that we're going to do greater things than he does. Okay, and, and I know you say, well, that's because he went to the Father and he sent the power of the Holy Spirit back 
Yes, but that's not all that he's saying here because the power of the Holy Spirit is, he's like the power part of God. And so when the Holy Spirit came back and, and birthed the church, now here I am, a human, you know, a sinner saved by grace, and I've got the same power at my disposal that Jesus was working miracles with. The problem is I'm still that human sinner saved by grace. There's no way, you know, if I've got the same power that Jesus did, you know, that I'm going to be able to do greater things than the Son of God. That's not really what he's saying here. He's saying you're going to do greater things because I go back to the Father. You see, when Jesus was here, he was like the living temple of God, and he was walking all over Judea, you know, all over Palestine, and going everywhere and working miracles and doing great things and awesome stuff. And he said, now I'm going back to my Father. This one living temple is going back to my Father, but now you're going to be my living temples, and greater things are you going to do. Not me, not you, but us together because first of all, now, or in the second thing, first thing out of this scripture, is secondly is that the temple is now many. That there, there was only one when Jesus was here. There was one living temple walking around. But now the temple is millions. Millions of Christians in millions of places reaching out to millions of hurting people, meeting millions of needs. That's why it's greater than what Jesus did. Not because we're actually doing a greater work, but we're doing a great, together, all of us doing our thing, we're all doing a greater work. But only when we do our individual, when we're individually accepting and working in mission, then together we're doing even greater because we're touching more. But that's not the only thing that this tells me. It also tells me because since this is not the temple, but this is that now the temple is mobile. Temple is mobile. You know, it's not right here and, you know, you got to get people here for them to get a blessing. No, the temple's not. I'm mobile. Are you mobile? You guys are still mobile? You can get around, right? You know? You know nobody has to pick you up and carry you somewhere? You're like, yeah, you're mobile. You know, in, in the Old Testament, the temple that Solomon built was the first real temple that they had. And, and Solomon, it was awesome. I mean, you ever read the description of that and, and, and just counted up the money they spent on building that thing? I mean, it was, or see pictures that render it. Man, it was cool. They, they built this thing and then, you know, they finished it. And then they backed up and said, hmm, that's pretty. They walked by it, you know, saw it every day. You know, it was, it was tall and towering. You could see it other, other places of the city and other hills from outside the city. And said, man, it's beautiful because they finished it. That's not me. Is that you? Do you feel finished? I mean, is that the way you feel? Do you feel that God has perfected you yet? Uh, not me. I mean, you know, he's still working on me. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Yeah, he, he's still working on my husband. Yeah. You know, God's still working on me. He's still gotten to dig some stuff out of me. He still challenges me at times and tells me, you got to do this, this. Yeah, I'm not a finished product. Before they had that temple, you know what they had? They had a mobile temple. They had a tent they set up and they took it down and they moved and they took it down and they moved and they took it down and they moved. It was a mobile temple that went wherever it needed to go. That's the picture of who you and I are. So we look at back to Solomon's temple. We look even back to the one that Herod allowed and, and paid to be, have built you know, in the time of Jesus. And we, we look, we look at, at, at those temples and we say, that's who we are. That's not who we are. We're the mobile temple. We're the tent that you know, doesn't look yet like God spent a lot of money on us. Oh, but if you look in the spirit, you see how much beauty there is in the temple because that glory of God that fell didn't just fall in Solomon's temple. It fell in the tent too. You get that? 
He doesn't just fall in this place. You don't just, you, you know, if you're only experiencing a, just that, 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 that moment of rapture and worship right here, man, you're missing it because he doesn't just fall in the temple. He falls in the temples. And he wants, to, he wants to fall into your spirit every single day. He wants to do this. You say, well, I, 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 I just don't know. Me? God's going to work through me? That, how does he do that? You know, I know I feel the same way. I, a lot of times I stand there and say, God, you know, I'm not worthy to go up here and say this. I'm not worthy to share this. How does he do that then? Let me, let me show you how you and you and you and you and you do greater things. Uh, Jesus is another, you know, the Old Testament, there are those pictures of the, the, the awesome truths. Man, Jesus is too. The, you know, he's our perfect example. So a lot of stories. This is one that I just, this is the one I just got to bring to you today. Okay, and, and it's, normally we, we call it the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus meets, or, I'm sorry, the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. It's John chapter four. And uh, you, you, may, you may recognize the story of the woman at the well kind of thing. So let's look at it together. Verse one says, so Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon. Okay, let's talk just a minute about this well. Y'all know what a well is, right? You know, a well is dug. And it was dug by Jacob. This is Old Testament Jacob. You know, this was hundreds of years before. And, and, uh, and it's been found in Israel. There, there's, there's a well, a, a deep hole that there in, in that area of Sychar that we know is there. And, you know, they can test everything there. And they said, yeah, it's, it's about that old. And today it's, it's dry. It doesn't have any water in it except in the, the wet months of the winter, it, then it has some water in it. But back in the early part of the last century, it still had water in it. One, one historian wrote that uh, it had 16 uh, foot of water in it at that time. So this well at the time of Christ had been there for hundreds of years. And now 2,000 years after Christ, you know, up until last century sometime, it still had water in it. You know, so uh, this well had had water for centuries, millennia even. You know, and, and, and Jacob had dug this well for anybody that passed by. Now, where do you dig a well? Where do you dig a well? You know, you dig a well in a place where you don't have water. You know, you know like my grandmother, you know, she had a sister, not really a well, just kind of caught water, it didn't come up. So years ago before they had city water, I know some of you young people never heard that term, city water, you know, they had to, you know, she had to have her sister. You know, my dad bought some properties several years ago. They've sold it now, but you know, it didn't have city water, you know, so they dug a well, you know, and, and, uh, and the well supplied the house. You dig wells in barren places, in places where there is no water in places that need water where you can't go find it some other way. I mean, you know, today we run down Dollar General, you know, we can get a whole pack of water, right? We don't need to dig a well. We, I mean, I, we can actually just go down the hall here, you know, and make a line in front of the water fountain. You know, we got all the water we want, you know. But you get into a place where there's no water, you dig a well. And that's what Jacob did. And he didn't just dig it for himself. He dug it for anybody that was coming by that was thirsty, that, that, that was in their own personal barren moment that they could partake. And for hundreds of years, for millennia, it refreshed people. Okay, that's important for you to get this, okay? Uh, and then when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in the town to buy food. Now they went to buy food, they couldn't buy water, I guess maybe that far away or something. But here's a well, so Jesus stayed at the well, there was the water. 
And so Jesus says, will you give me something? Here, look what Jesus did. Okay, Here, here's what he did. Now remember, we're, we're looking at why or how God does this thing through you, how you're going to make, you know, you're going to be the one that starts doing greater things, all of us together doing greater things than God. Jesus engages her in conversation. He says, let's have a drink of water together. You know, I, I know it's saying it a little bit, you know, in our, our language today, let's have a drink of water together. Now, what do you mean when you say that? I mean, you ever ask anybody, say, hey, let's go have coffee. What do you mean? Is, is the whole point to go have coffee? No, it's to sit and talk, right? To connect, to talk about old times or to learn something about one. Another. Hey, we need to get to know one another. Let's go have coffee. That's what he's doing here. He is engaging her in conversation. He's saying, let's sit down and have a drink of water and let's talk. And, and, and we're going to read several verses of scripture. Can't read all of the ones in this story. Don't have time for that. But he starts talking. And you know what he talks about? He talks about the very most important thing to her. You know what the most important thing to other people are when you talk to them? You know what the most important thing is? Them, right? Somebody's whispering it, but you're scared, you're wrong, right? Yeah, it's themselves. You know, if you talk to somebody and you talk about yourself over and over and over and over, you see their eyes start to gloss over like, oh, you know, and you know, and you see them trying to catch a glimpse of their wristwatch or seeing if they can check their phone and pray and somebody texts them or asks them to come somewhere and do something, you know, you know, uh, pray somebody's had an emergency and they've been rushed to the hospital and I can get out of this conversation, right? You talk about yourself too much, you lose them. But you talk to somebody about themselves, Man, and especially if you let them talk a little bit about themselves, you, they, will, they will listen and talk and converse forever. I mean, you'll be the one trying to get out of the conversation, right? But that's what Jesus did. He didn't just talk about stuff. He talked about her stuff. And, and I know I asked in the early service, I didn't ask it in this service because I know you'd be like you were themselves. Is that it? No. It's, what's the most important thing to talk to her about? And nobody answered the first service because I think they thought they would, should say Jesus, but they weren't really sure. And, you know, it really wasn't time yet to talk about Jesus and him talk about himself. It was time to talk about her because Jesus is not important to those people until they understand how Jesus is important to them. They have to understand how Jesus is important to their needs and the barren place that they found themselves. So the first step there is, you know, in, in being in being this person that God is going to use to do great, that first step, there's our example. Can we talk? And talk about them. Okay, let's, let's go on and read these. We're going to read several right here together. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Do you believe that? How horrible. Isn't that horrible that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans? Horrible isn't, but let's scratch out a couple of words and add two other words in there and see if it sounds horrible anymore. For Christians do not associate with sinners. That's the way some people think. They say, Christians are not supposed to associate with sinners. That's the way a lot of Christians think. We're not supposed to. How in the world do we reach anybody we're not associated with? How in the world do you reach somebody for Jesus Christ if you don't know any unchurched people? If you don't know any de-churched people, how in the world do you reach anybody like that? Uh, so Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you, who I am is asking you for a drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Now, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where in the world can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Did you see it? Something miraculous just happened. Did you see it? No, it's not the backwards ABCs of salvation. Confess, believe, and accept, CBA. You know, it's not that. It's not the five-finger thing. You know how to lead somebody in the plan of salvation with the five-finger thing? It's not that. He didn't even lead them in the, he didn't even lead her in the prayer of repentance, the sinner's prayer. But there was an explosion of faith in her spirit in this moment because she said, sir, give me this water that I'll never thirst again. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, Jesus is, he's, he's, he's talking about water and water. And I think she probably gets it that he's not talking about, you'll never have a physical thirst again. I think she gets that, you know, and that's what's happening. She's saying, he's telling me that, that, cause he's not talking to me about the thirst on my tongue. He's talking to me about the thirst that's in my spirit. And that's what said, this guy's telling me he's got the solution. This is a woman that, 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 that her life was a mess. I mean, we're going to find out in a moment. I'll go ahead and break the news to you. She's been married five times and now living with the number six, not married to him. You know, her life is a mess and Jesus is talking about water. Now, now we, we preachers, sometimes we get a little too big for our shoes. We, we think, you know, you should have heard the illustrated sermon I preached Sunday. I mean, I've heard guys say, I got to tell you this one, God. As if we created the illustrated sermon. Let me tell you, Jesus created the illustrated sermon. I mean, here he is, he walks up and there's a woman comes up to the well and he said, uh, okay, let me talk to you about water. You know, one day he's sitting on the side of a hill and he sees a guy that is sowing seed. And he said, let me tell you about sowing seed. You know, and, and, and he uses these, these illustrations for us to understand. And I believe she gets it because she says, give me this water. I gotta have this water. And, and, he's, and he's, he wants to give it to her. He's, he's got her right in the palm of his hand. And he, and he goes on talking. Let's go on our verses of Scripture. And we're going we're gonna to have to skip some. But he said, he, he, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're living with now, he's not your husband. What you have just said about, five, about not having one is true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. You think? Yeah, I mean, you know, he knows everything about it. You th yeah, yeah, I can perceive that you are a prophet. Our ancestors wor worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Where do you say it is? You see what's happening? No, 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 don't get into all that discussion right there. You see what's happening? Now she's asking the questions. Now she's saying, you know, I I've heard about worship. Tell me how it is. And this is where Jesus, we don't have time to read the script. This is where Jesus said, the time is coming and now is when people aren't going to worship in this place or that place, meaning that it's not about a, a stable, motionless building, but they're going to worship everywhere. They're going to worship, those who are true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. They're going to worship in spirit, not in a building, in spirit. It's not about a place. He's talking to us. He's telling us as he's telling her and she's asking the questions. Now, all of a sudden, faith has exploded in her. Now, all of a sudden, she's beginning to receive this water. Now, she's saying, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And what he's saying in this is the way we're doing is instead of one man walking around Palestine telling about this water of life, now there are millions 
that should be walking around telling millions about this water of life. Let's go on and hurry. We're skipping ahead. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They didn't say it, but they thought it. Didn't they? That's what it says, right? They didn't say it, but they thought it. What's he talking to her for? They're thinking what was just said earlier when she asked, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking, she's a, she's a Samaritan, Jesus. You know, they didn't say it, but she's a Samaritan and she's a woman, Jesus. What are you doing talking to her? You know that, you know, it wasn't just racism here. It was sexism as well. You know, the Jews were up here and the Samaritans were here and the men were up here and the women were here. So it's like Jesus and uh, they're supposed to be, what are you doing talking to her? It's a good thing they weren't the ones who stayed at the well. It's a good thing Jesus stayed there for her, for her benefit, for her sake, because they saw her as someone to be ignored. That's the way the Jews looked at Samaritans. That's the way the Samaritans looked at Jews. They acted as if the other one weren't there. They could walk right by each other and not, not even acknowledge each one was there. I, I experienced the same kind of thing when we lived in Chicago. It just feels like, you know, nobody wants to make eye contact with you. They think you want something or you're going to rob them or whatever, you know. And, you know, and, and just ignoring. So what do you see when you see people? Do you see someone to be ignored? Do you see, do you see someone that, I've got to stay holy. That doesn't, that doesn't make you unholy to engage an unchurched person. The example is Jesus Christ right here. See, and, and, and now something has begun in her that can't be stopped. See, look right here. Uh, then leaving her water jar, leaving her, it's the reason she came. She's like, oh yeah, man, I've, I have received something in me. This water is not important anymore. And she left and, and, and she went back to the town and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way to him. Jesus didn't just give her a drink of water that day. He made her what he was talking about in verse 14 when he said, you'll become a wellspring of water coming out of you, pouring out of people. It's what, what David was talking about in, in the 23rd Psalm when he said, you know, fill my cup to overflowing. He said, don't just give me enough because there are people around me that need you too. So God, fill me with so much. Here's what's supposed to happen. Like what happened to this woman right here. She got so much from Jesus that when she went back into town, she was so overjoyed. She was bubbling over and she was sloshing out all the joy and the peace and everything that was happening inside of her was sloshing out on everybody around her. And they said, let us come see this man. And they went out as well to see him. Jesus didn't just give her some water to drink. He made her a living well of water. We have a mission. You have a mission. And the way he does this is by you going and accomplishing. Let's talk about the 29-11 mission. Don't, don't bring that slide up just yet, Chase. But, you know, most, people, most churches are not, I mean, I don't say most, but a lot of churches. God... They feel God has called them to design and build temples that when you walk into them, you feel as if you have entered holier ground. That's what a lot of churches think, feel that God has called us to that. So when you walk in, you go, whoo, this is holier ground. But here's, here's the reason. Let me, let me be not politically correct, but let me be just nice here and kind. Here's the thing, though. This is not holy ground, not per se, not by itself, not because it's in a church building. That's not the holy ground. 
that when the Old Testament talks about holy ground, this is not the holy ground of the New Testament. This is not what Jesus Christ died for. He didn't bleed his blood for these walls around us. He died so that this could be holy ground. And now my temple is holy ground. Oh, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not finished. But I'm saved by his grace. His mercies are new every morning. An old little kid song from way, way back when, he's still working on me. Yeah. And that's who I am. And he feels me. And sometimes we miss it. You know how we miss it? Come to the front, let me tell you. Let's all stand and come to the front and close. Let me tell you one, way, one, one last little thing about how we miss it. And I want you to get it. Let's all get it together. Amen. Thank you. Come to the front. I said, some churches feel as if they are called to design and build temples that make you feel as if you're on holier ground when you walk in. Let me tell you what Church 2911 is called to do. Church 2911 is called to dig postmodern wells in the barren places of our communities so that the Samaritan woman of today can get a drink of living water and have conversations that include words of eternal life. Let that sink in a minute. Is it up there? Yeah. Let that sink in. That's what we're called to do as a church and individually. We're called to dig postmodern wells in the you know any barren places? There's not spots of ground that don't move. I'm talking about the barren places of the people around you. You know any barren places? You know, don't be like the disciples. See. See what Jesus saw in that woman. He saw a barren place. He saw a broken life that was running through men as fast as she could, trying to find something to fill the emptiness inside. Jesus saw a broken heart that needed to be healed. That's what he saw. Oh God, please rebuke the, the ignoring that we do in our life. Rebuke that, get that out of us, God. Do you know any barren places? That's what God's called us to do, is to dig these wells out there where the Samaritan woman of today can have a drink and hear words of eternal life in a conversation. That Cracker Barrel. Amen? McDonald's. Starbucks. Wherever you are. Because you know what? You are that well. You are the well. This, the, the well isn't here. Well, it is right now because we're all together. But when this is over and we close the doors today and we leave, we're taking the wells with us. Tomorrow when you're there around those barren places and people, you got, you're taking the well. You're, you are the well. It's there. The words of eternal life, the, the refreshing that if somebody can get just a little bit of what you've got, they'll never be the same. It's already, that, that's who you are. And that's how this happens that we do greater things than Jesus. I want to pray over you. Can't we pray and God, man, rebuke and remove that, that, that knee-jerk reaction to ignore people that are barren and broken? God, and open us up again to be the well. This morning you may have come and you might have a problem, and I know many of us do. 
But don't just come get a, a drink just for yourself. Don't just get enough to get through the week. Say, God, go ahead and fill me up so much that I slosh all week over everybody around me because I know some barren people. Come on, let's pray. Jeff, go ahead when you can. I want to pray a quick prayer over you and your need.